speaking on Revelation chapter 12. Um, I, the last time I spoke in this chapter was in August 2017, and we were looking at, if you recall, if you were here for that, we were looking at signs in the heavens and things that people were pointing out at that time. Some people thought that was when the Lord was going to return or when we were going to be taken home, uh, and others thought it's just a sign. All right, you know, I think it, maybe it was a sign. Um, there's plenty of signs going on these days that show us that we're in the last days. And, um, you know, when you think about our Lord's birth, the wise men got there two years after their fall on the star. And uh, so we might be within a few years, who knows? I think the time's close, though. And if everyone's good, I'll show you a clip at the end from YouTube. YouTube. Uh, what something that was done in Jerusalem in December, which, if you weren't aware about it, might be a little eye-opening, having to do with the third temple that they're considering building. So um, let's get started. I'll just read through the entire chapter before we get into it. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, Revelation chapter 12. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, in pain to be delivered. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was cut up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, his, and his angels were cast out with him, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. 
And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of different things I could focus on this morning, but I'm just going to pick a couple of things. Maybe we'll touch on the third a little bit. Um, I'll be looking at the travailing woman, the red dragon, and the man-child. And I'll be referencing a lot of scripture. As I've told you many times, Revelation is like the index of the Bible. So you have to look up. And this is only partial. There's a lot more than what I'm going to share. Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 9. This is uh, looking at verses involving women in travail. It says, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Labor pains is a common theme regarding the end times. Next I'll share a passage from the New Testament, and it's from Romans, and uh, speaks with about travailing as well. Romans chapter 8, verses 13 to 23. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that good to know? For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected him the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. We have not yet been made manifest as the sons of God. It's not yet outwardly shown. We know that we are, but the world doesn't see anything different about us on the outside. It becomes manifest when we're raptured and we're given a new body and we become one with Christ in that way. That happens, yes, when we get our new heavenly bodies and become one with Christ. 
And I'll come back to that passage again later when we look at the man-child. Isaiah chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. A grievous vision is declared unto me, the treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously, and the spoiler spoileth. Go up, O Elam, besiege, O media, all the sign thereof have I made to cease. Therefore are my loins filled with pain. Pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travaileth. I was bowed down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. And then skipping down to verse 9 in Isaiah 21. And behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the graven images of her gods have he broken unto the ground. So why did I pick this passage? It says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So why do you think Satan is keen on preventing this birth or consuming this man-child as soon as it's delivered? Because he knows that as soon as this happens, he's fallen. He's going to be defeated. So he's trying to prevent that. It's interesting that it says uh, it twice. Babylon has fallen, has fallen. And uh, you can think of if you recall in Samuel, the Philistine god, Dagon, that idol, it fell down twice in front of the Ark of God. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of God. Sorry, before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of God. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod and destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. When the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. So what came first before the falling of Babylon in that Isaiah reference? It was the pain as a woman travaileth. And Satan wants to stop that birth because after that he falls and he knows it. The power of sin was defeated at Calvary. That's his first falling and his utter defeat occurs after we are caught up to be with the Lord. And that will be his second falling. And then there's Babylon as well. That is also mentioned in Revelation, but I won't get into that this morning. And it will also fall. Isaiah chapter 42, another passage which speaks about a travailing woman. Verses 1 through 16 of Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. 
He shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he hath set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So that whole part we know is speaking of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and the new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And then skipping to verse 12 in Isaiah 42. Let them give glory unto the Lord, and declare his praise in the islands. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. Now we're starting again to the Lord's second coming. I have long time holding my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up all their herbs. I will make the rivers islands, and I will dry up the pools. And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them, and not forsake them. So, when you look at the Old Testament passages in the light of, of Revelation and the full picture of scripture it really opens up you can see both the first and second coming which unfortunately israel is still blind to for the most part isaiah 54 verses 1 through 10 says sing o barren thou that did, didst not bear break forth into singing and cry aloud thou that didst not travail a child for more are the children of the desolate and the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. 
for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. This passage is speaking of the nation of Israel. And God, in the Old Testament, uh, declared himself divorced from her and put her away. And it says in the law, and I don't have the references handy, I'm sorry for that, but that in the law, when they, were, when they obtained a divorce, it was against the law for them to remarry. They cannot do that. But it says here that the Lord is going to be back with her, call him, her, his wife again. And the only reason he can do that is because he died. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, and now they are, it is lawful for them to be united once again. So the church is the bride of Christ, and Israel the bride of God the Father. We can look at it that way. And he will not forsake them. He will bless them. Um, Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 to 31. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is, in, is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So who, who persecuted Paul? It was the Jews, his brethren, his own people, after the flesh, persecuting those born after the spirit. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So no, nobody can live under the law that's bondage. No one can successfully, completely fulfill every jot and tittle that is in the law. It is hopeless. We can only be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only one who could keep every aspect of the law. Um, and I think what's also being spoken of here, rejoice thou that barren, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. And I think that it's, in some sense, speaking of 
those redeemed by the Lord in a sense that we are children of Israel because our salvation came from there through Jesus Christ, from God. And it's, it's, it's a miracle of God that um, so many in the whole world would be saved all at once. One time, we'll be redeemed and raptured at one time. Uh, moving on to Isaiah chapter 66, verses 5 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified. But he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Saith the Lord. Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her. So that speaks to the point I was just making. Shall a nation be born at once? We are going to be born into the kingdom of God in our new heavenly bodies at once when we're raptured. And as soon as the travail is coming on Zion, we're going to be taken up. That's the picture that I see. If we look at the story of Ruth, it's an interesting story. Ruth, who is a Gentile, daughter-in-law of an Israelite woman, Naomi, who had sons, and those sons were carrying on her line, through the law to keep their inheritance in Israel as it was back then, but they died. And the one daughter-in-law stayed in the land of Moab and Ruth decided to come with Naomi back to Israel. And we know the story that a near kinsman, Boaz, redeemed them, took Ruth to be his wife and raised up children. Uh, so that Naomi... Naomi could also have an inheritance through Boaz and continue that. And then the progeny of Ruth and Boaz eventually leads to King David and to our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll just read Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. It's at the end of the story. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and became a nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. 
He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Naomi represents Israel. And Ruth represents, I would say, the church, the Gentile church. And Naomi gets a son because of the situation that God has ordained. So it's very interesting how these stories in the Bible have many different ways that we can apply them and look at them, different perspectives. Uh, Micah chapter 2 verses, sorry, Micah chapter 5 verses 2 and 3. This is um, when we read at Christmas time. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though there be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Therefore he will give them up till the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. So the first verse, we think of that at Christmas time, but the next verse that I read, that's looking ahead as well. And the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. So I'll leave it at that in terms of the topic of, of the travailing women. But think of all the women in Scripture who could not have a child. There's many of them. Where they prayed to the Lord, and the Lord heard them. You can study them on your own time. You can think of Sarah, Hannah, Samson's mother, Rachel, Elizabeth, John's mother. There's many stories about that, and you can see pictures of the nation of Israel, of the church. Just check that out for yourselves. Next, we'll look at the red dragon. The dragon, it says there in verse 9 of Revelation 12, this is the devil and Satan, that old serpent. I want to just say for a moment, dragons are never anything good in Scripture. In uh, popular culture today, in cartoons and stories, often dragons are, can be good guys. Be careful with that. Just keep your guard up. Because uh, Satan would love, love nothing better for, than for us to think, oh, maybe he's the good guy. But he's clearly not. He's the deceiver. But why red? Why is it described as a red dragon? So I wanted to look a little bit at the color red. In scripture, what does that mean? I think it speaks of sin, speaks of this world, carnality, speaks of blood. You can think of Jacob and Esau. Esau being red, he was called Edom. You can think of uh, different comparisons, Christ and the Antichrist, heaven and hell, hell. Think of fire, it's red. God and Satan, Satan thought of as being red. Look at blood for a moment. Blood is corruptible. Babylon, the woman in Revelation, what she dressed in, scarlet. She's holding a cup full of red wine, the, the blood of the saints. It says in Scripture that blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's of this earth. It's of this life. It's corruptible. 
I'm going to read um, just about Jacob and Esau briefly. Genesis chapter 25, 24 to 34. When her days were to be delivered, were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out all came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that, his brother came out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name is called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he didn't eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. Notice it's red. For I am faint, therefore was his name called Edom, which means red. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore to him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And we can see elsewhere in Scripture, like Romans chapter 9, verse 13, it says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Esau was carnally minded. Our flesh is like that. It wants to trade in eternal life for temporary carnal pleasure, fornication, lust, covetousness, earthly riches, and power. All those carnal things only last as long as your blood does. Adam and Eve did that too. They traded the garden and the tree of life for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they coveted. Continuing on in the study of the color red, in Exodus chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, we read, Pharaoh's chariots and his host have he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom as a, as a stone. You can think of the Red Sea as kind of a picture of hell or the lake of fire. If you look at, that, look at it in that light, it's interesting. Satan and his angels will be cast into the lake of fire. The fire is red, of course. Revelation 19.20 says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which, with which he deceived them which that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And then in Revelation 20, verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Red is also a picture of sin. And leprosy uh, in the Old Testament is like a picture of sin, of corruption. For instance, uh, Leviticus chapter 13, verses 24-25, under the law, when they're speaking about leprosy, it says, Or if there be any flesh in the skin whereof there is a hot burning, and the quick flesh that burneth have a white bright spot, somewhat reddish or white, then the priest shall look upon it, and behold, if the hair in the bright spot be turned white and be in sight deeper than the skin, it is leprosy broken out of the burning. Wherefore, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. 
it is the plague of leprosy. Sin just as equally it makes us unclean, even more so, I would say. And it is a plague, too. And we have the example of the red heifer, uh, which, by the way, they're trying to get one these days for the new temple in Jerusalem when they have it ready to go. They want this red heifer, which will supposedly take their sin away, which has already been accomplished at the cross of Calvary. Numbers chapter 19, verses 2 through 5, it says, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. And ye shall give her unto Eliezer the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp. And one shall slay her before his face, and Eliezer the priest shall take of her blood with his finger, and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin, her flesh, and her blood, with her tongue, he shall burn it. It's a lot of red in there. <clears throat> the red dragon seeks to devour the man-child, who is the word of God. Jesus Christ is the word of God. Sin tries to devour the word of God. Think of the parable of the sower when the birds came and ate it up. Don't be ignorant of the effects of sin in your life. The word can keep you from sin, or sin can keep you from the word. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 31 to 33, it says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. So you can think of, when you see the color red and you think of sin, sin is like alcohol itself. It is intoxicating and changes your behavior. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Think of the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ when he took his sin upon himself and he was marred and wounded and bleeding. He was red. He had a crown of thorns on and blood on his head and in his hair. But then in Revelation, his hair is white like wool. Revelation 1, verse 13 through 14. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. We see through a glass darkly. We don't have all the answers, but one day it will be made all clear to us. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then shall I know, even as also I am known. So in Revelation 12, and part of this will be a little bit of a review of when I last spoke on this subject in 2017. The woman, I believe, represents Israel. And the male child 
represents Christ, but also represents the church being redeemed. And I'll cut this short as I'm running short on time. It speaks about the child being caught up. That same phrase is used for us being caught up in the rapture. So I think there's a direct comparison there. It's like a dual fulfillment of the Lord born on this earth and then he ascended. He wasn't caught up. And that's why I think it's also involving us, the church, when we are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, as we find in 1 Thessalonians 4. We will rule with the Lord. He shall rule with a rod of iron. When Colossians 1.18 it says, He is the body of the church, who is the beginning. He is the head of the body of the church. So we are his body. And we will be glorified with him. We need to be ready for his coming no matter when it is. I think there's only years left myself at, at best. There's, it's an auspicious year still for the Jewish calendar. It's 70 years since 1948. I know it's 2019 now, but the Jewish year continues on. Um, There's some interesting things going on. Israel is dealing with control of the Temple Mount at this time. There's more and more pressure from the Jewish population to gain access to the Temple Mount. That's putting political pressure on things and for security. On December 10th, 2018, a Jewish sect who has established their new Sanhedrin um, had a sanctification ritual for an altar that they built for the future third temple. And that's the clip I can show you when we're finishing up here. I'll just read 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11 to close. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. We are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even also as ye do. Certainly, we are in the last days. It is getting very late in time. So just continue to watch and be sober, be patient, wait upon the Lord.
Steve, would you close in prayer? Sure. Father, we thank thee that we have thy book in our hands to study each day to see whether these things be so. And we think of the wonderful words of our Lord Jesus, who said, ye believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be with me. And Lord, we know that thy return is imminent. We pray that we may be found doing what is pleasing in thy sight when thou dost return for the, thy church. Father, we thank thee for the message that our brother Matt has delivered this morning. And we pray that we might be encouraged to delve more deeply into thy word so that we might not be caught sleeping when the Lord comes. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory.